Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis about the temptation of an exhausted Abraham through the persuasive king of Sodom and how God helped Abraham through Melchizedek. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes. Now, we've got a special offer for you as we begin the new year. Tom Cantor has written a book called Frequently Asked Questions by Jewish People. It's got uh, 34 of the most popular questions that Jewish people ask about the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got a wonderful offer in having this book, but it's also combined with another book that Tom Cantor's written called Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. In addition to that, it's also got Tom Cantor's life story, his testimony on how a Jew came to know and put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a special offer never offered before, but it's got three books together, all in one. So you have the Frequently Asked Questions by Jewish People, Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, and How a Jew Came to Know and Put His Trust in the Jewish Messiah, The Life Story of Tom Cantor, all in one book. We have limited supplies of these. We've only printed a select amount. So you've got to call us today, 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. You can call us now or after the program, one 800 247 3051, get this combination book of Frequently Asked Questions by Jewish People, Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Testimony of Tom Cantor, all in one book. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching program from Genesis. And so it's as if God rings the bell, so to speak, and calls Abraham out of the box and back to the corner. And, and then we see, we see God bringing in a true friend for Abraham, and that's Melchizedek. That's what God did for Abraham. That's what God does for us. Just as God monitored Abraham in his weak and tired, exhausted, and vulnerable state, God monitors us, and he sees when we're weak and tired and exhausted and vulnerable. And just as God interrupted the assault, and that's what it was, the assault on Abraham from the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom was assaulting Abraham's soul as a false friend to make this proposal, this alliance of wealth, of goods. And just as God interrupted the assault on Abraham's soul, God interrupts the assaults on our souls. That's what he does. And just as God interrupted the assault on Abraham's soul so that he could bring Abraham back to the corner out of the ring, back to the corner to refresh him, to prepare him for the battle. That's what God does with us. He interrupts every morning. That's a way for us to look at our quiet time with God. It's God's interruption of the assaults on our soul so that he can ring the bell. He can ring the bell and say, come back and call us back to the corner and refresh us and prepare us so that we're better set up to go into the battle. All right. <clears throat> but if we say no, if we just, if we just, if, if, if we get out of bed and just neglect our quiet time for God and throw ourselves back into it, get out of bed, rush into the urgencies of the day. I got to do this. I got to do that. I've been thinking about when I, before I went to bed and I got to do this. And there's, and we say, I don't have time for God. Then we fail to hear God's bell that calls us back. It's just like a boxer who just, who never goes to his corner for refreshments. It's a disaster. So verses 16, 17, 18, the sequence, the layout of this is very important because it shows us that God is watching out for us 
very carefully. He's watching our state. He's monitoring us. And he will not send us into battle without providing for our preparation. Now, this is, to see this even more clearly, please turn to Mark. Mark chapter 8, verse 2 through 3. Mark 8, 2 through 3. To see this in, in another light, in another way, other than just Abraham here. We see this in Mark chapter 8, verses 2 through 3. Now, here's the time when he, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jehovah Jesus has been teaching the multitude on a mountainside, and there's no food, and that's a disaster. Anyway, in Mark, two, Mark 8, verse 2, it says, he says this. He looks out on the multitude, and he says, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And then he says, and if I send them away... Fasting, if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from far. Now, the, the parallel passage to this is in Matthew 15. And in Matthew 15, 32, he puts it this way. He says, then Jesus called his disciples and said unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I will not send them away fasting, or as other translations have it, I will not send them away uh, hungry, lest they faint in the way. So, first thing we see here is the attitude of the, of the Lord Jesus, the attitude of Jehovah Jesus. He has an attitude of compassion. I have compassion on the multitude. That's his principle on which he operates. He operates on the principle of compassion. He gives the reason for the compassion. He says, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. He was not only monitoring how much food that they had, which was nothing, but he was compassionately feeling their hunger. He was feeling their hunger. That's exactly what it means in Isaiah 53, 4, when it says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our, our sorrows. He, the grief of hunger The Messiah bore the grief of hunger. The sorrow of hunger and no food. The Messiah carried the sorrow of hunger. And notice how he carefully considers what would happen if he does not provide them with the food. And he says, if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way. They'll just fall over by the roadside and so famished. So with those words... He sees that they'll faint. He sees them falling uh, by the wayside there if they don't have food provided to them. And so notice how how he has carefully noted for some of them, not all of them, but for some of them, he has these words, for diverse of them came from far. So he has carefully noted how far each one has traveled to come to hear him. And he's put those, all those ones who've, come from a long way down in a certain category which he calls them that came from far, of them that came from far. And for those, he is especially bearing the grief of the anxiety of looking, looking forward to a long journey home on an empty stomach. And so he's especially carrying their sorrow of, of the thought of starting off on this long trip hungry. And so then notice his resolve and he says, in, in, as I mentioned in Matthew 15, 32, he says, 
I will not send them away hungry. That's a very important verse. That's a very important statement that he made when he says, I will not send them away hungry. This is God. This is the attitude of God. This is the principle of God. This is God speaking when he says, I will not send them away hungry. That gives us great insight into who God is. The principles of compassion that drove him to say, I will not send them away hungry. Why is the Sermon on the Mount, when he said in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, uh, Matthew 5, 6. Why was that true? That they're, well, what's the great blessing to be hungry and thirsty? It's not such a great blessing. It's blessing because God is the one who says, I will not send them away hungry. That's why it's a blessing. It's not a blessing to be hungry and thirsty in and of itself, but it's a, be, it's a blessing to come hungry to God for righteousness because he says, I will not send them away hungry. And if anyone comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, as I did, loathing their sinful self and, self and feeling dirty inside and hungry for righteousness, it's not... Not, not, not my own. Then God, he sees those people who are coming to him as a group, and he, and he goes like this, and he says, blessed, those ones are blessed. Those are blessed. Those are the persons who are hungering, thirsting after righteousness. It's not their own. And God says, I will not send them away hungry. And God makes the Lord Jesus Christ to be our righteousness, as it says in 1 Corinthians one thirty. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us righteousness. Righteousness. And we look at ourselves and, and, and covered with the righteousness of Jehovah Jesus, and we say along with Isaiah in Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my God. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the, with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. So when people cry out to God for mercy to not receive the hell of an eternal death, a death that doesn't stop, that they know they deserve, we know we deserve that for our sin, they're hungry for eternal life in heaven. And God says, I will not send them away hungry. And he satisfies them, as he said, in John 6.35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. He that cometh to me shall never hunger for eternal life. Why? Because he said, I will not send them away hungry. That's why he puts out this invitation to the hungry. As he said in Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, he said, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, Come ye to the waters, he that hath no money. Come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Wherefore do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken unto me. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your heart, and come unto me. I mean, you could just hear the words of Matthew. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. He says, come unto me. And your soul shall live, and I will, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. So, that's his call to the hungry. Ho, everyone 
that is thirsty and hungry. Everyone who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, hungry in their soul for cleansing from sin, come, he says, come. The Lord Jesus Christ says, come to me, because he's the one who says, I won't send you away hungry. Hungry in their soul for God's forgiveness for their sins. He says, come, I will not send them away hungry. Hungry in their soul for a new real life with friendship with God. That's life. Friendship with God. He says, come. He says, come, because I won't send you away hungry. Hungry in their soul for salvation from the eternal death of hell, which they deserve, which we all deserve because of our sins. He says, come. Why? Because he says, I will not send them away hungry. Hungry in their soul for knowing that heaven is a reality, a reality that it's theirs when they die. They want that hungry. And the Lord Jesus says, come, because I won't send you away hungry. Now, verse 18, we see, uh, as opposed to the false friend in the king of Sodom, we see the friend, the true friend that God sent to Abraham. And what do we see that Melchizedek did for Abraham? First of all, Melchizedek saw that Abraham needed food. So notice the first thing that Melchizedek does for Abraham is to bring him food. Very simple. He saw Abraham needed food. He met the need. That reminds me of, of uh, Pastor Jim. i never forget this. I've t- I think I've told you before. 1976. And uh, I, I needed to, f- it's just starting the business, needed to find people who had goats, couldn't, find a, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't afford to buy my own goats. Now I'm a very rich man. I could afford to buy my own goats. <laughs> that time I couldn't. And so I had to make a deal with people that had goats where they would let me inject, immunize their goats. I had a spiel. And then after some months, I told them I'd come and I'd pay them and take blood from their goats. And I was looking all over for goats. And Russ Plowman, who was at that time working for Caltrans for the roads, and he was working on the roads out in El Centro, out there in the desert. And he told me that as he was driving down there, that there was this farmer out there and he had, oh, at least a hundred wild goats. <laughs> and, and, and at night, Russ, would, when he was driving back, he saw those goats and they were all penned up on the side of the road and the pen was made up of pallets held together by baling wire. And then they had some kind of, about four feet off the ground, a, a, a pallet roof, a roof made out of pallets too. And so he said, you go down there and talk to the guy. So I went down there and I made a deal with that farmer, who, who said, oh yeah, he says, uh, I let these goats out, they're a little wild, he said, I let them out during the day, and at night, I, and, and you can come at night. And so, <clears throat> well, Russ was working out there, you know, the Caltrans was paying for his hotel room, and so Russ said, look, he said, uh, if you, they're going to be there at night, so if you come in the middle of the night and you work, he says, I guarantee you, you're going to need a shower, <laughs> he said, so he said, when I check out of my hotel, uh, check out or I leave the hotel in the morning, then you can come in and use the shower. So, you know, money was a little scarce, so I thought that's a good idea. So um, I figured that I needed to start about 2 in the morning, and then about 7, that would time it just perfectly, so I should finish after about 5 hours, and about 7 I could coordinate, and Russ would be leaving, and I could go in and take a shower. So I told Pastor Jim about the plan, you know, and, and how I was going to go there and, and work in El Centro, and and then Pastor Jim said, well, I'll go with you and help you. I don't think he knew. But <laughs> that was a long, long night. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I can try to paint this picture for you, what it was like, but kind of picture this. is that Jim and I are in this pen. We're on our knees, because don't forget the pallet roof is four feet off the ground. So we're on our knees. We're working on our knees all night long. 
And each one of us had one of those shepherd's canes, the shepherd's crook, you know, with the little hook on the end of it. And, um, <clears throat> and we would be on one end of this pen, and on the other end would be these hundred wild-eyed, sh- crazy shrub goats that were so crazy, some of them would actually kind of like bounce up and down off the ground as they would look at us. And, and then Jim, he had a paint stick in his back pocket, and I'd put a syringe in my mouth. I looked like a pirate, you know. <laughs> no, no syringe. And I'd yell, now, you know. And then we'd go charge to the other side of the pen, and the goats would run around us. And, and as they would run around us, we'd throw our shepherd's crook out and try to trip one of them. See? And then we'd go and we'd plunge on top of this goat and wrestle them down, and then we'd expose his back. And, 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 and I would give... Uh, 20 injections, small intradermal injections along the nuchal muscle, along the back muscle of the goat. And then Jim would take out his paint stick and he would mark the... And so all night long, that's what we did. We wrestled wrestled down a hundred goats one by one. We injected them one by one. We paint stick marked them one by one. And we caught the same goat many times because (laughs) that's, that's the way it had to work. And all night long, we banged our heads on that pallet roofs, and we breathed in so much dust that we just coughed up dirt. And after we'd wrestled down one goat, Jim just kind of like sat back, and he got this kind of squinted eyes on his look, and I thought there was something wrong with him, you know. So I said, are, are, are you all right? Are you all right, Jim? Because he stopped, and he said, I now understand why the Lord said to the goats on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. (laughs) Yeah. But why did Jim do all that for me? Because he knew, he saw that I needed help. That was the kind of person Pastor Jim was. That's the kind of person he was. He saw I needed help, he jumped in on the need. It didn't matter to Jim that he had the title of pastor, the pastor. He jumped into that dirty goat pen with me because he saw the need and he did it himself. That's the kind of person Melchizedek was. Melchizedek, he saw the need, he jumped in to help. That's what makes verse 18 so remarkable. Because just as Jim had the title of pastor, and he jumps in on that dirty goat pen with me, so verse 18 tells us, Now, Melchizedek had three great titles. Melchizedek, his first title, king of righteousness, which is what the term Melchizedek means. Second title, king of peace, which is what king of Salem means. And third title, priest of the most high God. It's hard to imagine higher position than that. Greater titles than those three titles. And what do we see this great king of righteousness, king of peace, priest of the most high God doing? Verse 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. And he was a priest of the Most High God. So just as Jim Mader jumped into that dirty goat pen, and he was a pastor of Mission Valley Community Chapel, verse 18 reads the same way. That's what's being emphasized in verse 18. It's the last part of that verse is so important. Melchizedek himself brought out, like a servant would, bread and wine to Abraham. Tom, today you mentioned from Isaiah 55.3 about God making an everlasting covenant with the Jewish people. As a believer, what should I focus on regarding God's eternal life covenant to me? 
Well, the most important thing to focus on when it comes to God's covenant is the fact that it is God's covenant. This is what it says in Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. In other words, before the world began, God promised that there would be an eternal life. And we have a hope. This is the great hope. We have hope of eternal life. And the the Lord Jesus Christ said so clearly in the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have this hope of eternal life. But what is the hope? based on. My hope is based on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our hope is based on God. And as it says here in Titus 1-2, God that cannot lie, promised. He didn't have to promise, but he did promise. And because he promised, it's God who promised. It's God who cannot lie who promised. And he promised this, and therefore, that's the substance, that's the basis, the assurance, the confidence of that we that we have eternal life, so that our hope is just not a simple, well, I hope I go to heaven when I die. I hope so. Well, I really, really do hope. I sincerely hope so. I'm not sure, but I hope so. No, 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 no. Because this hope is solid. This hope is an assurance. This hope is a confidence because it's God who promised and he cannot lie. It's so wonderful the way it's said in 1 Samuel 15, 29. It speaks about the strength of Israel. What a name of the Lord, the strength of Israel. You know, many, many people in the Bible called on the name of the Lord, and that's what God wants us to do. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and safe. We need to be in the practice of calling on different names of the Lord. Here's a wonderful name of the Lord. Oh, strength of Israel. It says here, also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. So our hope of eternal life and what I should focus on on God's covenant, on God's new covenant, his new testament, is that this is the strength of of Israel, and he will not lie. Because it says in Hebrews 6.13, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he he swear by himself. In other words, what God is saying here, what it's saying the Bible is saying here, is that When God makes this promise, when he made the promise to Abraham, and he made the promise of eternal life to Abraham, and he and he made the promise that that through Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed, and he made this promise, and then he wants to swear by the greatest that he can. And so God looks around and he says, Should I swear by the earth? No. Should I swear by the universe? No. And he looks all around. He says, I will swear by the greatest thing that I can, and that's myself. And so, therefore, the Lord says he swore by himself. Why? Because there's no greater. 
than himself. He is the ultimate of ultimates. He is the Adonalom, the the Lord God Almighty. And so the Lord of the universe, creator of all, he swears by himself to show the promise is secure. You cannot have a more secure. So the going back to the question, what should I focus on as a Christian on God's covenant? The thing to focus on above everything else, that this is God's covenant, that God has sworn by himself. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's God in the Lord Jesus Christ holding up that cup and said, this is the blood of the New Testament. Drink ye all of it. In other words, in remembrance, in remembrance of him, constantly remembering that when he was on the cross, he shed that blood. Why did he shed that blood? To be wounded for our transgressions, to be bruised for our iniquities. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's our hope of eternal life. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning of our program, Tom Cantor has a book that he's written. We've combined three together in one. It's got Tom Cantor's Frequently Asked Questions by Jewish People, Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, and How a Jew Came to Know and Put His Trust in the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Tom Cantor's personal testimony. They're all together in one book. Now, we have a limited printing of these combination books, and it's a great offer to start off the new year. It's even a good Bible study to start off the new year with, with great devotional topics about how you can identify the Jewish Messiah. Do the Hebrew Jewish scriptures support the virgin birth? What's the difference between a Gentile and a Christian? And many, many other questions and study topics. Great devotional study book. We've got a limited supply. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. one 800 You can find out more information about us at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening. Join us tomorrow.